Hello and welcome to the Recovery Crew, folks. Uh, I'm looking at my screen here and I uh, I have Camille Reed and Robert Park is in the house. Um, uh, I'm Dr. Bob Bear and uh, this is the Deep Waters Recovery uh, Podcast. We call it the Recovery Crew. And uh, so we're going to have, we, we have the great honor today to, Robert's going to tell his story and uh, I, I'll say a little bit more about his bio here in a minute, in case you don't know who he is. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's my way of saying hello, Camille. Hello, Robert. Hey. Hey, Bob. <laughs> um, so, uh, let, why don't we start with Camille? Why don't you give it? Let folks know what Deep Waters is and what we're up to here, and then I'll introduce Robert and let you launch. Yeah. Um, so at Deep Waters, we are an advanced recovery and healing experience for men and women um, in the Austin, Texas area. Uh, we have the Deep Waters Intensive or the DWI, which is a three-day transformational trauma resolution experience that integrates psychodrama, bioenergetics, and rituals of empowerment. Um, that's going to be happening later this year. And then our upcoming experiential facilitators training or EFT is an opportunity for anyone who works with others to do their own inner work and learn action tools that they can use in groups. Um, you can also get on a certification track for that so that you can lead um, the Deep Waters Intensive. And you can find all that info at deepwatersrecovery.com. Um, and then we also have an outpatient program where individuals can work with Dr. Bob and his colleagues in groups, individuals, couples, and family sessions. Um, our weekly blogs come out on Mondays, um, and then the podcasts come out on Friday, and you can like, follow, share, subscribe on YouTube, um, all of it. And then you can also follow Bob on TikTok as a recovery and trauma guy. Yep. Laugh. I'm having a blast over there. Robert, look at everybody smiles when that gets mentioned. Like, how could that old guy be on there? <laughs> I'm the, uh, what do I call myself on there? The uh, wise ass therapy solutions. Yes, what? And yeah. Anyway, it's I, like it. I get to do my Larry David therapist impression. So, all right. So here we have Robert Park, just going to tell his story today, and we're going to uh, probably learn something. Every time I've been with Robert, I know I'm with a person who's been. You ever run into somebody that nothing has ever happened to? <laughs> it's like, and you start falling asleep in the first 30 seconds. That has never been the case with Robert. Um, so uh, uh, Robert's been in, in you know, uh, I'll let him frame it however he wants to in recovery, in the recovery uh, addiction treatment world for uh, coming up on a couple of decades. And um I know he's worked with a lot of different treatment centers, has, has played di different roles at those treatments, all of them, I think. You've probably uh, been in all There's of them. There's a couple them. I haven't done, but okay. for the most part, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and now uh, he is the owner and operate, uh, operator of Luna Recovery Services in Houston. Luna, I happen to, that's, Luna, uh, in the, I don't want to disparage anyone else. It's hard to say it this way, but Luna's doing the best work doing the real deal combination between, uh, you know, uh, given the real solution for addiction, which is not, uh, it can't be all 12-step recovery, and in a real clinical solution, which cannot be all clinical. In order to treat addiction, you have to have a mature, comp mature, uh, a mature uh, combination of the use of both of those, and it's not easy to pull off. And Robert has, has a team that uh, is doing as good as anybody I know of. How did I say? Hey, I said that pretty good there. I'm, that was perfect. Somebody, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually ask for this recording and, and put put your video on my uh, on my website. <laughs> Promo. Yeah. Well, I'm telling. Sometimes when I tell the truth, every once in a while I tell the truth, and it sounds really good. All right. So uh, anyway, Luda's is great. Uh, Robert is a guy that has has done a lot of deep work himself. Uh, I'll let you talk more about that. But anybody that puts uh, holotropic breath work on his bio says something uh about the person breath work holotropic breath work is a particular kind of deep trauma resolution uh processing uh that maybe we'll chat a little bit about before but anyway robert so glad you're here i could go on about who you are and all the stuff that you've done but why don't we just let you launch and uh, tell us uh what what it was like what happened and what it's like now yeah 
Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for the the, the warm and and uh, gracious uh, introduction. I appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm really happy to be here. This is this is kind of like something different and fun, and um, it's a good uh, just a good change up. And so yeah, when 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 the opportunity arose, I, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've been sober for, it'll be 17 years and 10 days, I guess. Um, so it's always, you know, the month of June is always kind of like the, the, the darkest. Uh, it reminds me of of just like kind of that, that final dark night of the soul, so to speak, that I had. But mm-hmm. before that, there was a lot of fun, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, work, it works until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. And um I grew up an uh, alcoholic home. My dad is is uh, sober now, uh, but uh, was an alcoholic cocaine addict, and my mom was a really good codependent, and my grandmother was an alcoholic. My older sister is an alcoholic. Uh, my younger sister is an alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> my aunt on the other side of my family died of opiate addiction. I mean, so mm. I've come by this very honestly. Um, I didn't have a chance in hell, basically. You know, to, <laughs> uh, I remember um, I, I really didn't want to be an alcoholic because I saw the devastation it did in my family, you know, and um so I decided to start smoking pot instead. And, um, you know, that was natural and it came from the earth and, you know, it was just different. It was a little tidier and not as messy. And, um, and I remember the first time I, I uh, really, really, you know, gave pot a, a, an honest shot. I was with all these older kids who I always seemed to gravitate hanging out with the older kids. And, they had a bong out called the Purple People Eater, and um, I remember having to excuse myself pretty quickly after a few rips of that thing, and uh, you know, went home and just like shut myself in my room, and it, it, it honestly was not a great experience. Uh, but the, the following day, guess where I was? I was back at the Purple People Eater. It's like I want to try that again, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so. That, you know, that, that really kind of started everything for me. And, um, and, you know, I've, I did start to form a connection with myself and definitely with the substance, uh, and with the people. And, and so, um, really, I think from that point forward, it was just like, ah, yes, you know, drugs, this is, this is, this is my way. And, um, not a unique story there at all, you know, you kind of hear that a lot, but uh, that is my truth. And and so I was never a good student. Um, I barely passed middle school. They put me on Ritalin the last uh, three months of school and I made straight A's, you know, and uh, um, but I just was never really all that interested in school or going to class or I'd rather just have fun, you know, and that was kind of what I was more into. Um and so, you know, I, I benefited from having an older sister who also was using MDMA and drinking and smoking pot, among other things. And so I got to kind of hang out with her friends and partake in those substances as well. And so, you know, I started listening to uh, a couple bands in high school, Grateful Dead and Fish. And I mean, that like became my religion, you know, it was just <laughs> like, man, I just remember like my, all I wanted to do is like listen to shows and get high and just like sit there and just like somehow, somehow my guess is you weren't this clean cut looking dude following uh, the following great uh, uh, the Grateful Dead around. No, I, I, you know, I grew a beard as fast as I could, which I started shaving in the fifth Where's grade. The so it wasn't that hard, the, we should have pictures on here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Bob? There's not that many of them. Good <laughs> <laughs> one, the evidence. But luckily, I got sober before like social media and all that stuff. Really, like you know, I think we had MySpace maybe when I was, uh, you know, at that. But when I when, when I got sober, um, yeah. And so you know, I just started exploring. I started taking some some psilocybin and some LSD and things like that. And man, I mean, to be honest with you, like I really felt like I was figuring something out. I was like, everybody should take LSD. Like, I mean, the world would just be a better place, you know? And um, that still may be true. I don't know. But um, (laughs) um, it's, 
it's you know i remember being in saturday detention reading like carlos castaneda and you know like these metaphysical oh, nice. books you know in high school and and um i was starting to really kind of explore some of that and i didn't really have any structure or mentors or anything like that i mean i just kind of i don't even know how i fell into it maybe it was through the dad but um and so you know i i often say i was really cool in high school i mean like really cool i i peaked <laughs> like i that, that was like the peak of my coolness it was like junior senior year of high school yeah um I had Mona, I was, I was the um, pot dealer for um, most of the schools, private schools and surrounding public schools in Houston. So uh, I had my own apartment in high school. That, developing, you know, parents, developing your leadership skills early. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, entrepreneurial. Uh, and, um, you know, and everybody, you know, it was just, it, I had my own apartment and we all go over there and we just skip class and, Girls were into me at that point in my life, you know, it was just like, I was kind of riding high, you know, and at the same time, um, if I wasn't high, which wasn't very often, uh, I was angry and I was short-tempered and, um, you know, would get in fights with my, my, my mom in particular. Um, in, in hindsight, man, I was selfish and self-centered, you know, and, and the way I treated some of my relationships and the things I did to my friends and, and girls I was in a relationship with back then, you know, oof, was pretty ugly, really. Um, but, you know, at the end, but I would, I didn't have that awareness. I, I was yeah. just kind of like, it was all about me. I was so just wrapped up and and my identity and you know my ego and all of that so so somehow I graduate high school so this is kind of a funny story um you know I had I had like so many absences that I had to go into my principal and say like hey is there any way I can graduate you know I got into college somehow <laughs> um and uh and she was like, she was like, well, you can run two miles every day after school for the last month and that'll make up your absences. I don't know if they would still do something like this now, but I was like, okay. How does it, so, what's the, what's the through line from missing classes to running just straight out punishment? Yeah. Punishment, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but I was willing to do it. I mean, you know, the coaches despised me. They're like, oh, park. I just, you know, they, and that's, that's who was, uh, you know, overseeing my running, uh, uh, you know, deal. And so I'd show up and, you know, for the first week, my, my stoner friends were like all across the street, like, you know, smoking joints, like, yeah, go around. I was like running across the room, <laughs> track, you know. And finally, the coach, you know, after like probably a week or two, the coach was just like, Park, just get out of here. Like, he just, you know, he just gave me credit for it. And he just didn't want to deal with me. And, you know, frankly, that's how I got through life. Yeah. You know, um, all my teachers love me. I didn't do shit, but they love me, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of how I learned how to navigate, you know, getting away with stuff. Yeah. And, uh it worked for until it didn't, but it worked at this point in my life. And so I got, I, I applied to Colorado State University, mainly because they had really good pot in Colorado yeah. and they have really good music and it's in the mountains. And, you know, I had a beard, long hair at this point, And I was like, I belong in Colorado. And yeah, Boulder, Boulder, right? Uh, Fort Collins. Oh, Fort yeah. Collins. I didn't get into Boulder. There, there's no way I was getting into that school, but I did get into <laughs> on probation, mind you. Um, uh -huh. and, um, so I move up there and I went to class for a little while, lived in the dorm and I found a, 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 a pot supplier because that's who I was. I was Rob the pot dealer, you know? So I was dealing pot out of my dorm room and, um, uh, you know, I started drinking a lot more at this point. Um, and using some other pharmaceuticals and just kind of, you know, I wasn't all that picky, honestly. Um, and um, started going to a lot of shows, lot, lots of music. And all of a sudden, you know, I found myself, I'm all over the country. I'm living my dream. I'm, I'm traveling across the country, camping out, getting high, listening to good music, meeting interesting people. 
and you know i'd occasionally i'd run out of money and i'd call my mom or usually my dad because my dad was an alcoholic and he felt guilty for all the stuff he put me through and i knew that and you know at some level and so you know i could play on that guilt right um and say dad send me some money and he'd be like well where are you i'm like oh i'm in portland he's like it's a tuesday like why are you in portland i'm like oh you know you know blah 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 and um so I, needless to say, I fail out of college and, um, you know, I start working at a bar, bartending, working in the back of the house, um, start using a lot more cocaine at this point in my life. Um, and, you know, it was interesting, that dynamic that I said about how cool I felt in high school. I did not feel that in college at all. And there was something that happened and I don't know, I can't think of an external event, but it was just more of like an internal change of where I just kind of, my ego got popped a little bit in some ways. Like it was, it was less like inflated and, and more of the deflated, deflated side of the ego, you know, but um, really didn't have a, you know, I had some girlfriends in college, but it wasn't the same. I just wasn't, uh, wasn't as confident and all that. And Honestly, I think that, you know, I used a lot more as a result of that and mm -hmm. stay up late, you know, man, if I was high and drunk, I was the life of the party. I was all about having fun and just like mm -hmm. staying up late or for days at a time. And um, it occurs to me, it occurs to me, Robert, the question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the, the progression of the disease or the progression of some consciousness and maturity and growing up and realizing I can't do this shit anymore. So I use more, which... <laughs> which medicates those thoughts, right? And then eventually, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's a little bit of a race. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, it was evident also that like, you know, this stuff that I was like figuring out, like, you know, freshman, sophomore, or some of junior high school, like it really kind of, I, I got way off that track and, it really was less important for me. So really the use had a lot less meaning, like substance, yeah. like really like you substance. Put, you put castaneda down. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, totally. I just totally, I didn't put all the books down, I think, you know, and, and the music was something that meant something for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but, you know, it became less and less about the music, more and more about the drugs, um, less and less about meeting people, more about what I can get from them. Um, you know, it was a constant battle of like, okay, I need to get my Molly. I need to get my, my L, uh, LSD. I need to get, you know, this, I need to get that. And like, it was just like a constant thing of trying just to manage the supply I needed to feel okay. Yeah. And the funny thing was I'd get all that stuff. And I just, all I could think about was running out. It was like, I was completely unable to be satisfied. Yeah. And, uh, and all I was trying to do is just to feel satisfied. Um, and so, um, let's see. So, you know, it, it, I, I got worse and worse, got really bad. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to Houston because, you know, here's my, one of my first geographical, like really conscious geographical changes to try to like make things better. So I go back to Houston. I move into my, with my, in my dad's apartment and he's actually sober at this point. And, um, hmm. But all I, you know, all I'm doing is hanging out with my old high school buddies that are, you know, similar to me, going to bars every night, doing cocaine, staying up, you know, and um, really it was, it was almost worse in some ways because there was really nothing that was positive there for me. And uh, so I lasted about six months in Houston and then I have this grand idea. I got it. I, I got it figured out now. <laughs> I'm going to move back to Colorado and I'm going to grow a bunch of pot. Because if I grow a bunch of pot, then I don't have to like deal at all. I just like sell it and I'll make all this money and then I can travel and go see yeah. shows. I can live I think up they, in the mountains. I think they call it the geographic agriculture uh, <laughs> entrepreneurial cure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to solve all my problems. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, I was, I was 95% miserable. I mean, um, but, you know, I, I was still able to make things happen and come to find out I somehow, and I already, it was all, it's all pretty fuzzy, you know, I mean, it's like, I, I know this all has happened, but like some of the details, I'm like, well, how did I get that house? And how did I get all those plants in my house? You know, and, and I remember this guy, but it, was he real? 
or was he? <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, uh, yeah. um, so I moved to Evergreen, Colorado. I get a house up in the mountains and um, I, I have 200 plants in my house, you know, and, and I'm going, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, I, I had this vision of me like being in solitude in the mountains and how like peaceful that would be. And, and God, man, I was just left with myself. I was like going crazy up there, you know, so I'd drive back up to Fort Collins and party up there, come back and, and then one night there was, um, there was, a uh, we ran out of cocaine and, uh, this guy, Dave said, Hey, I can go get something else. And we were like, well, Dave, why are you still sitting there? Go get it. And he came back with methamphetamine. And that, that, that really started about a year of, of meth heavy methamphetamine use, daily methamphetamine use. And, you know, that, I think that drug probably robbed my soul more than anything else. And really, in, in some respects, I'm grateful for because it took me down so yeah. hard and I crossed so many boundaries and so many uh, philosophical and moral lines with, with that drug that it, it really made me hit pretty hard. And um, cops showed up at my door, you know, they took all my plants. It's kind of a weird situation. They said, well, we'll take, you know, you let us in, we'll take you down and process you and let you go, which they did. And so I, you know, hit methamphetamine hard for a couple more months until I pawned my car. I spent all the money I made growing pot. Had nowhere to live. Um, so it was, you know, hanging out with other people. And, um, and what do I do? I call my dad because, you know, when it gets really bad, I call my dad and I told him that I, I pawned my car. My dad's pretty calm, dude, but he was like, get your ass home to Texas, you know, and, like, <laughs> and I had plans to move with these two girls to Tahoe. He didn't like that plan at all, <laughs> but, um, Tahoe, so, Camille, Camille has a, has Tahoe stories, don't you? Yeah. My, a lot of my addiction was in Tahoe, ran away to go live up in the mountains to do this, tra this traveling hippie thing, just like you. And somehow, Maybe you two do know each other. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to move to Truckee, which is, you know, right by. Oh, Tahoe. nice. Yeah. 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 I was in South Lake, so mm -hmm. a lot of hippies up there. Oh, yeah. Good place to, to use. I was a very snobby hippie, just for the record. Like, <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, um, so I moved back to Houston, and, and this was probably the last 18 months of my addiction, and uh, you know, started doing coke again because I don't want to touch meth ever again. And I didn't, you know, but I was like, oh, but I'm gonna go back to cocaine, you know? And, and so, um, my dad was using at the time, was not sober. So his cocaine dealer came over. He was obviously a cocaine dealer. And, uh, my dad was like, oh, it's my friend, you know? And I'm like, mm -hmm. so I like follow him out. I'm like, Hey, what's up? You know? <laughs> So anyway, he, th that guy taught me how to shoot uh, cocaine uh, IV. And, and um, so, I, you know, for the last 18 months of my addiction, I was shooting cocaine and heroin and um, um, every day, you know, um, all day, every day, uh, unemployable, living at my dad's, you know, 24 years old, um, just miserable, yeah. just an empty shell. And, um, I remembered, uh, we were, I was in this motel with this guy named Caesar and, uh, and some other guy and some fine establishment, probably like motel six or something, you know, and, um, and I, I OD'd and, um, and I came to and was in the shower with the shower on and I walked back into the, uh, the, the suite and, uh, they were using my drugs, you know? And yeah, it was a big, and I, I'd had several dark, I'd had several moments of clarity, several times where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But typically I go to sleep after that and I wake up and I'm like, eh, you know, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit to get the edge off, right? That's you know? right. That's right. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, that's, that's after that, it's all back to the races. So. So I, uh, anyway, that night, it was about 5 a.m. My dad was still awake because, you know, he liked to clean a lot around that time. And because um, <laughs> he was mm -hmm. too high on cocaine and Johnny Red. Um, 
but uh, I rolled up my sleeves, which were, you know, just complete bruises. And uh, yeah, I probably weighed 120 pounds, you know what I mean? Um, and I said, uh, dad, I need some help. Hmm. And that's the first time those words had really come out of my mouth quite like that. And he said, okay, let's do it. And he'd been to treatment a bunch. He'd been to treatment six times probably. So again, it was all kind of fuzzy, but you know, a couple days, maybe it was the next day, I was, uh, my, my crackhead buddy <laughs> drove me to treatment. You know, we got an ounce of cocaine for the ride and, and uh, I was like six hours late for my treatment appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, but it was interesting. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get so messed up before treatment. Like, it wasn't like that. It was just more like, I've, I felt like I needed to do it. Like, you know, like I'm going, I got to do this. And and so my mom was dropping my little sister off at summer camp uh, in the same town where the treatment center I went to. And, and uh, so the treatment center won't let me come in and because uh, I was so late. And so I had some Xanax and took some shots of tequila and uh, went and stayed with my mom for the night, which, you know, she's pretty clueless, but I was just, you know, just gone. And um, I remember I had a little bit of dope left and I went down by the Guadalupe River and was trying to, you know, inject it. And uh, there was just nothing there. Hmm. And uh, I just remember like crying, you know, and just being like, God. It was just like more of just like this defeat yeah. and, and an element of surrender, really, you know, just like. And I woke up that next morning and I went to treatment and quite frankly, I was, I was like, show me what to do. You know, I was like, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Yep. And, um, you know, they taught me about the 12 steps, taught me about the first step in particular, um, you know, started working the steps and had a profound spiritual experience there um, that I think changed my life forever. And um, I went to sober living after that for over a year. Um, started working in treatment when I was actually still living in sober living. Um, and uh, was doing H&Is, carrying the message. And, you know, again, in hindsight, getting, God, that was hard. It was so hard being in that raw state of, early recovery but while I was going through it it was great you know it yeah. was exciting it did entail a lot of pain but I was just like man I was excited about life again mm -hmm. I had nothing you know and um you know I went to I started my first job was at Starlight Recovery Center and I went in there you know I was still living in the sober house and and uh and then I was, you know, interviewed because someone told me to go out there and interview. And they're like, well, we have a, we have a spot for you. It's the, it's the graveyard shift on the adolescent unit. And I was like, sweet, I'll do it, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was my first kind of gig in, 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 the, in the treatment biz. And, and uh, uh, man, it was cool. Yeah. You know? um, even, even, was, though we, even, even though we have to, you know, separate our own personal recovery from the work that we do in treatment. Yeah. There's still some of, you know, some of the, there's no way to split it completely. You know, I, I've been in the industry since I got sober really. And, uh, you know, I think it's good for me to stay around guys like you. It's like, I work with guys like you. I mean, yeah. I'm around people that are constantly saying, yep, I'm a mess. Okay. That's right. It reminds me I'm a mess. Totally. I, I, I think it's, uh, and you know, just like, me listening to your story so far uh right now robert for these last few minutes it's like i've gotten a lot for my own recovery it's like whoa that's right that's how that's how this works mm -hmm. uh, and so mm -hmm. you know whether we're doing it for our our vocation or our living or because of our recovery it's uh i don't know it's hard to separate it all out but we it is good to have boundaries i've heard that people have told us <laughs> yeah i've heard about those yeah, those, I've heard that too, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's cool. I mean, you know, like in our place now, I mean, we do we do check-ins. Yeah, you know, like, hey, how are you doing? You don't get to do that in a lot of, you know, workplace yep. environments and things yep. like that. Like, hey, tell us what's going on. So it's nice. And and absolutely, I've got to have a sponsor and, and want to have a sponsor and go to my own meetings. I mean, certainly my job does not take the place of my personal recovery. Um, but I think there's a little bit of benefit to it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember those early raw days and... I don't know how effective I was in this industry, <laughs> but uh, it was good for me, I think, to, to stay yeah. immersed. You know, that, yeah. that, that was kind of the point I was trying to make. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, God, I made a lot of mistakes and man, you know, I got sober and then it was like codependency. You know, it was just like, uh, you know, family of origin trauma, you know, just, I mean, um, and it would just show up in like relationships and, and, you know, just unresolved trauma and um, depression and, you know, all of that. And it was, it was, it was, it was really, a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, uh, where both sides are true. It's a, a paradox. A paradox. Thank you. Yeah, it was really a paradox because, you know, on one hand, I'm like happier than I've ever been in my life. Yep. And on the other hand, it's like, man, there's a lot of stuff I'm struggling with here. And, yep. uh you mean we're not cured when we take away the drugs and alcohol? <laughs> you thought that was yeah. it. I thought that's all I had to do was just yeah. stop. And then I'm better. I'm a perfect human being now. I remember being in treatment and, and someone said, someone that worked there said like, oh, no, you take away the drugs and the alcohol, we get worse. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why yeah. am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I understand the point, you know, and, and maybe it, it is true at some level, I think. And well, we start feeling we start feeling all the feelings that we had medicated for for so long right and totally it's uh it's a lot for it comes for folks in a lot of different ways it's for me i had to just immerse myself in meetings in therapy and everything i get my hand on just so uh, i i did it in the days of bradshaw uh, mm -hmm. so I, I just immerse myself in all that inner child stuff and the i mean morning till night I just Dang. swam in the waters until I popped my head up and could actually start living like a regular human being. Totally. I think I read more books in my first two years of recovery than I've read since. I mean, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just trying to soak it all in, which I think brings up a good point is like, I think the, a lot of the books I was reading were like, you know, spiritual books. And I think there was this big element that I was really trying to avoid my pain. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they call it like spiritual bypass, you know, yeah. where I was just like, oh, if I get spiritual enough, I won't have to feel all this, you know, right, and that's right. that was not the case. I, I tried, but it didn't work for me at least. Um, and um, yeah, and so then, you know, I, you know, I'm just I'm going to, you know, really involved in AA and um, uh, CA, Cocaine Anonymous, which is, which I was really involved in too. And I was working in treatment, I, you know, I was making a good, I, all of a sudden I was making money and, you know, I didn't have to, I was self-sufficient and it, I had my own place and, you know, it was just like, wow, man, this is, it felt really, really good. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think I was, yeah, I'd, I'd try anything. I was really searching for something you know larger than myself and i i went all down down all sorts of different rabbit holes you know to try to find that and i'm kind of embarrassed to even talk about a few of them but um and then i got introduced something called holotropic breath work you know as well which was a really good adjunct to my my recovery and just overall involvement as a human being and um, mm -hmm. so there's uh... so you know, sometimes we do shorthand around here and there's some folks who probably aren't in 12-step recovery listening to this podcast. I know that. So when we say first step, what do we mean? Well, we mean just the big surrender. But uh, you can't just do a drive-by with holotropic breath work without at least unpacking it a little bit. We did have Christine Calvert on here a few, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a few uh, months ago. And, uh, and we talked about it quite a bit. But you got to unpack it a little bit. What is it, Robert? Yeah. Okay. Well, you did a pretty good job in your little in your snippet in the beginning, but I mean, it, yeah, it's a, we could sit here for hours and talk about it, but I'll, I'll do my best to condense that. So it's um, basically um, there is a psychiatrist named Stan Groff who 
uh, was over in Prague. And this was, you know, in the in the 50s, really, when Albert Hoffman first discovered LSD and they were using LSD and uh, psychotherapy and, and just like trying to figure out like what is this substance and and Stan sat with um, tons of these what they called subjects back then um, you know and he started to notice that these people were having these powerful life altering experiences. And then he started to notice that there was a certain trajectory to it and that people kind of had either this kind of experience or this kind of experience or this kind of experience. And he kind of started to organize all of these findings that he had. And, um, you know, and I think you'll look at some of the research now with, um, um, psychedelics that's being done is like you know a lot of these people are saying that this was the most important uh, 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 process of my life and and so he was like wow there's something to this and there's political unrest in Prague he came over to Massachusetts and, and continued his research here and then you know the 70s uh, you know happened and with with LSD and you know all of a sudden it was you know um, the devil or whatever and and um, and so he went to um, this place called Esalen Institute, which is in Big Sur, California. And, it, you know, it was back then, and, and still, they still do a bunch of stuff. But really, back then, it was kind of the epicenter of, like, consciousness thought in the West. And, you know, all sorts of teachers hung out there. And he was resident and scholar. And um, he was trying to write books. And his first book was called Beyond the Brain. But he, um, he uh, um, you know, all these people like wanted to know, like, you know, hey, we want to do this. And, and I'm sure they did there back then. But um, really, I think what he wanted to try to develop was, is, um, you know, what he, what he noticed was it wasn't even necessarily the substance of LSD. It was that deep healing can happen in uh, what, what he termed back then a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Now there's, there's several different terms for that, but um and that somehow something happens in the psyche to where it's able to um, complete splintered or unfinished business with the psyche. And, um, and it's really this self-directed, no one does it to you or anything like that. It's all based on this idea that you have this inner wisdom within yourself. And, you know, when you can place yourself in, a expanded awareness state or non-ordinary state or holotropic state um, that you gain this certain perspective over that stuff. And so just, just for clarity, Robert, just so for, because most of that dissertation we just did, which was actually, I've been waiting for that to be articulated really well. Yeah, uh, that is wow. I'm, that, I didn't know you were that uh, much of a scholar of the what's behind uh, the holotropic work, um, but just for clarity for people listening, holotropic breathwork is not under, not necessarily or even suggested to be under under the influence of any quite, kind of quite drug, the contrary. Right? You're using okay. your own chemistry for this, right? Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is is actually you 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 can't if you're really going to do the work with integrity, you're 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 not under the influence of any substance. I mean, the whole idea of it is like. You don't need the substance because you have the breath and the breath is the vehicle. And yep. you look at ancient, ancient cultures and traditions and they use breath and yeah, they use some plant medicine, but they also use music. They used fasting. They used uh, dancing. They used all sorts of different ways to get into this expanded state. Yep. And so this is just one of those. And uh, basically you come in, you do it. You don't have to do it in a group. Most of the time it's done in a group and you lay on a mat and there's music and you breathe and uh, um, something typically happens. Even if you feel like nothing happened, something oh, typically yeah. happens. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it changed my life. And you know, Christine and I, you know, we got sober together. I mean, she's uh, a lot younger than I am, but you know, we, we're dear friends and, and we certified in the, in the training together, holotropic training together. So, um, but we went on this world tour of these modules. And, and so that was a big piece and, you know, and then therapy and then obviously 12 step and all of that. And, you know, I turned 30 and I, I probably should shut up pretty soon, but um, I turned 30 and I started, you know, really, you know, you mentioned met, uh, rec uh, Mercury in retrograde, I think maybe before we started recurring, you know, when you turn 30, they kind of call it the Saturn return, like in an astrological sense. And, 
Um, you know, all of a sudden I got real, thought I got, you know, real grown up and I started really focusing on work and job and life. And, and I, I noticed a departure from a little bit of my spiritual focus. Um, and it is what it is. I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it was just my, my story. And, and, you know, there, there was, there's, there's in the last five years or so, there's been this homecoming back to kind of my heart and, and this space. And, uh, um, I had a lot of worldly success and progress and development in those years of my life. And I'm 41 now I got sober when I was 24 and I, you know, I've had the, the pleasure of living the majority of my adult life so far sober and relatively, you know, mostly happy. Um, and not, but, but more importantly, having the tools to be content, you know, and all I got to do is pick them up. Yeah. And uh, so something I'm really focusing on in my life right now is just simplicity, you know, um, and that's really working. But life is so complex, Robert. How can, how can, how, how can we do that? <laughs> it's like uh but but you know that when you were talking about the first step for some reason i'm i'm locked on that it's uh like you when we go into treatment we do we have a first step experience we refer to it that uh like in other words you know you were ready i was ready i was hurting enough that i it was either gonna kill myself or get some help so it's everybody doesn't have the same kind of bottom but for this thing to work somehow or another, we've got to have a, what, what I mean when I say first step experience is say, wait a minute, I cannot do this and mean it and, and actually need help. And then those next couple of steps are about the, what you're talking about, spirituality. So it's, it's, you know, when a lot of times when I hear spirituality, I bet it's true for a lot of people. I wonder what a person means by that. And um, so as we kind of close here, I, I'd like to hear what do you, Practically, what is spirituality? What are you talking about when you say that? Yeah. Um, well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is um, kind of experience with spirit. Um, you know, spiritual experience, take that backwards experience with spirit. So I think it's like placing myself for me in the currently, it's placing myself in a position where I can be present. Um, I can be aware of my emotions. Um, where my body and um, be present for other people and, um, you know, try to my best to think of others. Yeah. Um, and um, stay in a, in a in, in this is maybe kind of complex, maybe this didn't drill it down, but it's trying to keep my consciousness in a level that's a little bit more expanded than just like, me and mine and what am I going to do and my own fear and you know all of that stuff and so I think in a really simple way man if I can just stay connected to this my heart and I can be aware of my body and I can be in the present moment and you know take the trash out better than I've ever taken it out before um <laughs> you know that's spirituality mindfulness, mindfulness training taking the trash out yeah. well yeah yeah thank you Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Camille, what, by the way, Robert is one of these guys that's figured out how to do relationship and family and kids and the whole thing too. Right, Robert? Uh, figured it out. I mean, I, I have all those things. Yes. <laughs> I have acquired I those things. Figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, having a shot at all that is one of the gifts that we have, right? By, by getting out of that self, uh, it's really hard to do relationship. It's like, what do you want? You need me? What? Wait a minute. I'm in yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. myself. So, you know, the program gives us tools to have, have a, a, a full life. You know, if I mean, wanna... I think about like when my kids are like, daddy, daddy, blah, 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 blah. you know, I'm like, God, if I was like hung over right now, or if I'd been up for two days or something, how do you do that? I can barely yeah. do it. You know, now it's like, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then we, we learn how to play with it because we're, we insist on, uh, it took me, it took me uh, 27 years to, to see that one line in the big book, which is uh, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. Yeah. Somehow I missed it. I don't know why you didn't point it out to me, but uh, 
I've been it's really. Funny how, it's funny how those sentences jump out after a while. Yeah, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm so committed to it now that my programs manager, Camille, occasionally has to look at me with that really nice look on her face. Bob, sometimes you got to do some things you don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm so committed to enjoying this life, man. Um, but uh, like this time with you, this has been cool. So, uh, are we there? Are we sort of transitioning? And, and uh, are we there? Anything yeah, else? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, we like to uh, we like to close with uh, like ask like a fun a fun way to close is uh, ask a question here, and I'm going to lay this one on you. Uh, we'll all answer it. Um, I kind of like this one. What do people misread about you? I like that one. I saw that one on the sheet and I was like, huh, that one made me think. That's the one that actually stood out to me the most, uh, you know, so, and I didn't have, I didn't come up with an answer, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Well, we're all going to do it, so. Um, what do I think, mo what do I think people misunderstand about me, right? Is that what you're Kind of like that misread or misunderstand. Misread, yeah. Um. God, it stumps me, you know? Um, well, go ahead, Camille. You got something? Yeah. You can, you can study it for a minute, Robert. Thank you. Yeah, I'll go. Um, I guess it's that I'm always, like, very cheerful and always in a wonderful, amazing mood because that's, like, what I present out and that, you know, the moods are just... Like light is just flowing out of me, and then I go home and like turn into like this little like get into my cocoon and have to recharge my body to be social again. So probably that. Sure. Yeah. Um. The first one that comes to me is really inappropriate. It's like people think that I, <laughs> I'm going to say it out loud just for for my own healing purposes, but uh, people think that I'll take their shit somehow. And I'm trying to teach the world. I'm not, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna reframe that because I think I need to do some uh, inventory work uh, right now. I can hear it. There's a resentment in there, um, but I, I will say, uh, I think people think I'm a big mess because I'm always fooling around and doing this <laughs> stuff, and you know, it's like. But inside of me, I'm pretty. I have a I have a certain clarity about what I'm up to, and Camille will tell you, Bob is very interested in things being done exactly the way. <laughs> <laughs> He's got him in his mind. So I think some people uh, might misread uh, me in that area. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can come off like as being a little intense sometimes. But at the same time, I, you know, I can, it's, it's weird. It's like, so I, I think I sometimes I can come off like being intense and I'm not trying to like jam somebody up i'm just like a lot of times i when i get interested in something i want to know and yeah i think they misread me like dude like you know uh quit being such a jerk you know um and then i think the other thing is um i've been i you know fairly passive you know i can come off i think as being fairly passive but you know and especially the last 10 years or so my wife would would uh, confirm this it's like I don't mind a little bit of conflict and I, I don't mind saying some of the hard things when, when they need to be said. And, and I think sometimes people are surprised when, when I actually say something like that. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, deep down, you're just a long haired hippie trying to follow around fish. <laughs> hey, I, I plan on seeing some shows this summer. So you that's know. right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's time to get back at it. He's good. He's going to be a, is there is fish like that? Are fish people like deadhead people? Is it yeah. the same crowd yeah. or similar? Mm -hmm. Well, similar. Yeah, it's a little bit of it's a different vibe as as I would say, but but uh yeah. Yeah. Same idea. Well, Robert, thanks for be, being here. Uh just for, for our guests, Robert will also be back next week. Uh we're gonna uh talk about step six, but it was so good to hear your story, man. Um, why don't you tell folks how to a uh, little bit more about Luna and a little bit uh, and how to get a hold of you if they want to? Okay, yeah, sure. So, yeah, Luna Luna Recoveries in Houston, Texas. It's a boutique uh, um, outpatient treatment center. We also have a very very small residential center. It's only nine beds. It's 
you know, everything we look through uh, mainly through the clinical lens, as, as Bob alluded to early on, we do, re, you know, we do really consider all recovery pathways. Um, as you know, now I'm a 12 step guy. Um, and, uh, but we really try to take a deep dive into trauma and, and family of origin issues and co-occurring issues. And so um, we have an amazing clinical team. We've got an amazing doc. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the, our, our idea was just to, to try to build something super high quality. And, and, and our, I think our main focus is we want our, our clients to feel safe. Um, we want them to feel cared for. And um, we we do our best to create that in container, and, and so far, man, it's man, it's really great. I, I just I love what I do. I love Luna. I love the people that have shown up to help create it. And uh, if you need to get in touch with me, uh, you can email me Robert at LunarRecovery.com. You can also call me at eight three two eight five zero two nine eight zero. Nice. Yeah, look, look, you know, I'd say it about a lot of folks that come on here, but Luna is really, there's like a luminescent uh, around it, luminescence around it, because I know you're doing this really loving version of the deep version of addiction uh, treatment and healing. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so thank you. Thank you, because I know it's not hard, it's not easy to get that stuff cranked up in, uh, and to keep it rolling. <laughs> it takes a lot of care to uh, run an outfit like that. So thanks, Robert. Um, Thank you. And we're running an outfit here too, aren't we, Camille? We got something going on. <laughs> Say, <laughs> but, I feel like you had a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm taking off for the river uh, next week. But uh, tell us a bunch of, let folks know what's happening around here, Camille. Um, yeah, a short version of the intro. Um, we have our upcoming experiential facilitators training um, where you can learn tools to use in groups. You can also get certified to um, staff our Deep Waters Intensive, which will be later this year, three-day transformational trauma weekend. Um, if you want to reach out by email, it's admin, A-D-M-I-N, at deepwatersrecovery.com, or you can go to our website, deepwatersrecovery.com um, for any more information on upcoming events. All right. Thanks, uh, Camille. And thank you, Robert, for joining us today. And everybody that uh, everybody that's listening, thanks for uh, being here uh, on the recovery crew. You're in the deep waters now. <laughs>